Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. episode of the prestige a podcast for people who love movies by people who love movies my name's sam i taught in universities colleges and i currently work in a boarding school up in the north of england um teaching english he's rob he's a podcaster editor author and serial job switcher um, and one of his many careers saw him travel the world as part of the film industry. So the idea is that he brings the technical know-how and I know a bit more about um, theory and things like that. Um, and we bring these two perspectives to discussions of various films, films you know and love and films you might know much less about. And we take a different movie each episode and we give short reviews and then we talk about the sort of cultural, theoretical, historical significance of each one. And we end with recommendations linked to the episode film in some way. And we always start with a brief talk about what else we've been consuming media-wise. So, Rob, what about you? So, I think I mentioned previously on my on the last episode that i'm currently working my way through the bond films uh, they've all popped up on disney on disney on amazon prime and i am just watching them all in order um and yesterday yesterday i'm recording i watched uh, the 1995 golden eye aka the best bond film ever made um it's the 17th in the series it's the one the first one um starring pierce brosnan and yeah, I think it's the best one ever made. It's certainly the best one in my current watch through of them. I'm intrigued to see how the more recent ones, the Daniel Craig ones, stand up in such close proximity to the rest of them. Is is that the one that starts with the tank driving off a cliff? No. What's what's that? I one? don't know. I haven't come across. And then then he. Oh, I can't so the Golden Knight opens with him bungee jumping off a cliff. Oh, similarly ridiculous. Um, uh, he bungee jumps off a dam um, and then meets up right. with Sean Bean and they blow up a Russian uh, arms oh, base. Oh, yes, I remember. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it, it was very, having gone through all of them, literally in the last two, three weeks, I've watched every single one, all the 17 at this point. Um, some of them, not a lie, some of them are terrible. Some of the Bond films are shocking. Um, and some of them have a brilliant... They feel like this weird kind of inverse of how good the song is balanced out by how bad the movie is. Um, but right. they are they are what they are. Um, and I will say GoldenEye was far more progressive and... I wouldn't say meta is the word, but I suppose aware oh, of the... I thought we, we, I got, got Die Another Day confused. Die Another Day is the one with the tag. Fair enough. North Korea. Anyway, sorry. Um, Golden Eye. Uh, yeah. Karen. So Golden Eye. Um, so it, 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 you're talking about being meta. It's not meta's the wrong word for it. I think it's 
because it isn't showing you that it's aware, but it clearly is aware of what mm. is known about Bond. And like the, the, the there's a lovely moment right at the end in which the bad guy wants to get something done, and rather than threaten the damsel in distress to get Bond to do it, he threatens Bond to get the damsel to do it. Um, and it has a lot of moments where you can clearly gone, the writers and directors have gone, like, we know what Bond films are. Like, we know what they are. And this is a film that's going to do a lot of those, but also in a way that is knowledgeable of them. Um, and, you know, the, mm. the the interplay between Bond and M, played by Jude Dench here, which we see repeated again down the line, is like, where what is his role? What is the role of Bond in the modern day? Um, and all of that kind of stuff. It was, it was, it felt meta in the way it was kind of, maybe even more postmodern than meta, in that it is commenting on the history of Bond films um, within the text itself. I think that picks up more sitting down the line in the um, Daniel Craig era. Um, I'm pretty sure that the Piers Brosnan films pretty quickly descend into terribleness, um, and I shall keep you updated. As they go. How are you, Sam? What have you been watching? Well, continuation of the Sam watches the thing that Rob recommended a week later. Um, I've just watched Reacher. Excellent. Um, which, which is very good. Um, and I've seen a couple of the Tom Cruise films and... This is an awful lot better. Alan Richard is awful lot better. He's awful lot more believable. Um, and yeah, I thought the the acting was very good. Um, not just Alan Richardson, but some of the other performers very good. And yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see what they do next. There seem to be a couple of characters who weren't in the book that this was based on. Sort of setting up the idea that this series might run um so his his old partner Neely didn't appear in that book but she may crop up later in the series so they brought her in so yeah I, I really enjoyed it and I was sorry there were only eight episodes to watch I uh yeah I I, I really enjoyed it when I watched it so I'm glad you uh enjoyed it too as Sam opened the show with, we do pick a movie each week um, and we discuss that movie and the themes and ideas it throws up. And we are currently going on a little world tour, I suppose. We started down in the bottom of South America and the goal is to work our way around the globe. It, looking at movies and film cultures and films that maybe wouldn't normally get the breakout that they would otherwise. This week we have reached... Uh, Venezuela, and we are watching the 2012 movie from Miguel Ferrari, My Straight Son. Wow. 
Paco, por favor. No es por nada, pero yo prefiero que mi hijo sea un delincuente que sea un maricón. ¿Aló? No me puedo llevar a Armandito, así que se tiene que ir para allá. Es que yo ahora no tengo tiempo para nada, y menos para estar creando un chamo. Se ha crecido, mi pana. Y no me digas mi pana, que no soy tu pana, soy tu hijo. ¿Qué quedamos entonces? ¿En delirio, Alejandra Marejo? Un delirio. Ay, qué bello eres, eres igualito a tu papá, igualito. He estado tratando de averiguar qué ha sido eso tan importante que te ha mantenido tan ocupado durante estos cinco años. ¿Te avergüenza de que sepa que eres maricón? ¡Apaga eso! Mírale a los labios, en algún momento, como quien no quiere la cosa. Sabrás tú brigar con una tía, ¿eh? Créeme, funciona con las tías y con los tíos. Son, or Blue and Not So Pink, which I believe is the original title, is the tale of a father and son, I suppose, a, a estranged father and son. The father is gay and has a partner and I suppose a found family of um, LGBT community around him. And the son comes into this world and it's about him learning from them, them learning from each other, and overcoming some of the hurdles and obstacles that an LGBT person does experience. It is a melodrama in many ways. It is probably much more overly dramatic than some of what we consider modern LGBT cinema. Um, but Sam, how was it for you? I absolutely loved this film. And... It's maybe it's my age, maybe it's the fact that I seem to be working on it. I tend to get tired around the same time every night, and it usually falls sort of halfway through a film like this. And I sort of felt a bit tired, so I paused and and thought, well, I I can't be very far in this film. It turned out I was over halfway through. It was it it just it it was brilliant. I was carried along by it. Um. I really like the relationships between Diego and his friends, but also Diego and his son. Um, I thought the position of his parents and also his partner's parents was really powerful. Yeah, I just thought it was it was really well done. I was surprised and pleasantly surprised by this. How about you? Yeah, I think that. I think I'm going to handle this in two categories. I think as a story and as an action, as a, as, as a performance and a moral, I really liked it. I The film, we're going to get into spoilers real fast, obviously, guys, with this, as we always do. The film deals with some like pretty heavy and dark themes. You know, there's homophobia, there's homophobic violence, there's death, there's domestic abuse. There's lots of like really 
brutal um, topics covered, a lot, lot of brutal ideas covered, and it handles almost all of them with a seriousness that they desire, but also a reality that, that they, they are covered in that. I think the actors are brilliant. I think there's a lot of the love movie. I think that I found it a bit at times a bit soapy. Mm. Um, it had that same kind of vibe as what you often see on maybe a Channel Four, Channel Five soap. Um, that everything's very, very melodramatic. Everything's going, and everyone's going through hard times. But I think that once you kind of, for me, particularly, got over that initial hurdle of it. Um, of everything happening in the similar sort of um, locations and minimal um, cast and crew. Once you got over that and bought into the story of the characters, I was fully on board. I think particularly for me, the story of the son and his acceptance of himself and him finding love and also the sort of the the overall feeling of found family, that, that this group of people who are who were obviously originally a couple and their friends, but they are single dad, his son, his assistant, his old friend who's now a um, a club performer, I suppose. Um, and it's about the four of them kind of finding something between the four of them. And by finding that, each of them helping to overcome what was holding them back. Yeah. I think that idea of found family is really interesting also the, the idea of acceptance that comes during this film that it's about the son learning to accept himself as much as anything else and it's about him he realises a bit too late with Laura well definitely too late with Laura that he needed to accept himself for who he was there are these of ideas about body dysmorphia early on and he has so semi row with his dad about it um, and I think the idea of acceptance comes through and like you said it's about his relationship with his dad but it's also him learning stuff about his dad's friends and his dad also, also as you said like it goes from being a couple and their friends to being a single dad and his friends and it's a different dynamic and it's the the film is about accepting of that new dynamic and resolving and and things working out in the end i think i, I yeah i think you nailed it there as well i think that's it's about acceptance isn't it it's like and it's it's acceptance in all forms in that you know you're gonna look at the son accepting who he is and he has that that, that sort of the way he feels about himself and the, the dad accepting his new life and the even the assistant just accepting that the husband is never going to change and mm. th they have this it felt like this really kind of cathartic moment when they kind of they go out to to the beach to this dance show so that the son can meet laura and they're all on the beach on the, on the sort of the I suppose the uh the harbour side looking out at the sea and there's this kind of like pure moment of connection between all of them where they just kind of accept who they are and they use it. Um, even, um, I can't remember the name of the uh, the character, I want to call them um, Delirio, Delirio Del Rio. Yes. Um, and she ends up with her own show. Um, and mm. she meets someone who knew her before she transitioned to a woman. And 
yeah. has a moment with them and I felt like it was going on like a are they hitting on her kind of way? And it was like a double yeah. bluff that was revealed to be you know, that he's he's got a partner as well, um, and he knew knew her, and she claimed to be the brother. And it is it's a there's a moment of there of accepting that that person has gone, mm. that that connection, that yeah. old life has gone, and embracing. Um, because I, I I didn't get it until the end, but all the way through, she's when she introduces herself, she tells the whole story. She tells the, oh, we yeah. do this, but then this and this, and goes through this whole spiel about how she ended up, ended up with her name. And at the end, when she appears on the TV show, she's just like, I am Delirio. And there isn't yeah. that caveat of having to explain who she is and why she is and all of the history. I think that was, uh, I didn't, and right, like, all the way through, I'm like, oh, come on, like, it felt like a weird personal quirk about her mm. that paid off brilliantly for me at the end. But uh, all the way through, I'm like, Come on, this is like this has stopped me being funny, being yeah. weird now. But it paid off really well yet. Yeah, it's yeah. I get what you're saying about it being a bit soapy and a bit overly melodramatic, and I can see that. And then I think that there are moments where, with the characters involved, with the topics involved, with this idea of, of transitioning being important and mm. sort of acceptance of homophobia in the family being important like topics like that you have to deal with them in an almost overly dramatic way in a film like this it feels like this film well from from i know nothing about venezuela but it seems from this film that attitudes towards gay people in venezuela are quite behind what they are in europe and it feels like this is a film that needed to be made because of the position in which the country found itself. Yeah. So, it, so to us, it, it does seem a bit melodramatic, but may, maybe that's a Eurocentric thing. But mm. you think about things like in the UK, shows like Queer as Folk, which were kind of taboo breaking for us. Yeah. Um, and whether, if, if I was to watch that now, would it still. Would it still feel as like real, or would I be like, "Come on, this is a bit soapy," but it was about yeah. breaking that barrier down. Yes, exactly. Um, but no, I think overall, I think I kind of said at the start there, but this isn't a film where I'm going to be talking a lot about the cinematography or the framing. Um, I don't think it did much with any of that no. overly. Um, it was very sort of telly movie. But I do think I think the the acting across the board was was stellar. And I think I mean one relationship I always think about with this movie is the is the granddad, um, the dad mm. of the, the of our main character, I suppose, who at the start is using quite a lot of racial slurs, racial, um, homophobic slurs, and they're watching what looks like a Jeremy Kyle esque Piers Morgan style talk show. Um, which seems mm. quite reactionary, quite conservative, um, with the little C, I suppose, in terms of like not wanting to start to change, mocking those who are, you know, that there's, it felt almost weirdly shocking. Like, I mean, obviously in the UK currently, we're living through how the world is waking up and dealing with transgender people. Um, but we generally don't have people being mocked on TV just for being gay. 
Like in that kind of talk show format, if there was like a someone saying they're gay on Jeremy Kyle and was actively laughed at just for that, that is not where we are currently in the UK. But that this is obviously it's ten years ago. The show is the movie we've made, but that was the kind of show they're watching. But his that character of the granddad, kind of I feel went through that journey a little bit with. Mm. Um, through the movie, and it's a, it's a small side part. He isn't one of the main four. He isn't one of the main main cast. But having his grandson stay and everything going through with his son, there's a real transformation. That guy of just being a bit more. He's not, you know, he's not going to gay pride talks, but he is accepting and accepting of his son and his grandson and all of that. Yeah, yeah. I think in this was said about the parents both being interesting. So. Diego's dad, you talk about that, and then also Fabrizio's dad, who is like he—he's—he's he's not going to change, and he's the sort of hardline version of Diego's dad. Mm. And you think, well, you, you see Diego's dad go on that journey, and you think that's the journey that Fabrizio's dad is just not going to go on. So I—I I see, but I, yeah, okay, it was ten years ago, but still. Mm. It felt felt like, fingers crossed, we were further on than, than that. Yeah. yeah, I think the film is... I mean, that's why I think that... I, I don't know. I feel I'm maybe giving the film a bit of a, um, a hard knock in the talk of melodrama because emotionally it does pay off. The mm. end... I mean, yes, some of the staging can be melodramatic and it is that kind of like... You know, they, they, they just they, it's it's so extreme. You know, there's there's violence and there's guns and there's death and, the, and that, but it does feel like it all pays off. The emotional beats at the end pay off, and they pay off. I think what I the, the core of it for me of where I enjoy this film is the film pays off in small ways. There isn't really like a giant denouement scene in which everyone pours out their feelings and everything's cathartic that doesn't happen it, it's slow it's about them learning to tango together and in a car park telling you the girl that you like the girl and that kind of thing and it's really small moments that add up to this overall feeling when you look at the four of them into four of the whole sort of scene looking at all of them and seeing how their life has changed by as you say the acceptance of who they are and who those around them are i really like that bit with with Laura, when you think you would expect a film, because I, I agree with you, summary actually, there there is something overly melodramatic in places about this film, and you think you think maybe a film like this is going to have Laura protesting a bit, and maybe she found out about his deception, but she's willing to overlook that, or he he begs to get her back or there, there's some sort of resolution like that mm. that's what you'd expect from this film and then the film is pleasantly surprising and saying look no you've screwed up i'm not going to be with you and laura walking off and that was really good i really enjoyed that yeah and when when you, you have um straight after that you've got a scene with obviously the Diego crying over Fabrizio, but you have sort of the outpouring emotion from his son as well about what has happened to him. Mm. And I, I really like that, that moment of 
genuine connection between the father and son. And I think that there is a real sense of love because what what were the early conflicts being that sort of that the dad wasn't there. The, the dad, the sons lived with the mum. They haven't seen. I think it was five years. They haven't seen each other. And there was a real mm. like, which you totally get like the the prodigal son, the pissed off son who hasn't seen his dad, hasn't come to see him, and coming to like them overcoming that and trying to understand why that's happened. I still, I, I think that the dad part of the acceptance the dad went through was accepting that he was a dad. Yeah, um, I think that that was really painful as the father of a son mm. to see he, him say, "Look, I don't care that you're gay. I care about the fact I haven't had a dad for the past five years." That was that was really powerful when he said that at the beginning. Well, I think I, I agree. I think it was interesting because knowing a little bit about where the story was going from the blurb and the trailers, I kind of knew knew what was going to happen. But at the same time. In the early scenes um, between the uh, the couple, between Diego and Fabrizio, like Fab- um, Fabrizio is the is the grown up one. I'd say mm, like, he he yeah. is the one who feels like he's a serious person who might have a child, whereas Diego was much more the carefree. You know, he's the one who's aggressively kissing in the in the um club in the, in the in the restaurant to upset the lady behind them and you know flirting with people at the bar there was like a real sense that he was the chaotic younger one yeah and yeah. that felt a lot like him running away from the consequences of being a dad yeah. Um, and that journey the two of them went to, as you say, like I'm, I've I haven't got a son, but I've got a daughter, and like the idea of not seeing her for years is insane. Yeah. Um, but that that kind of you felt the righteous anger in the son, and you, yeah. ag- I, I mean, I agreed with it. Like, you agree that this guy has been a deadbeat bad dad, but he's also going yeah. through one of the worst times of his life. And it's about, say, the kind of acceptance of all of that and, like, trying to acceptance of the past. So, Rob, do you have any recommendations based on this? I do. I've got two recommendations. Um, one one we've covered on the, on the show before, um, but I think it has something similar, a similar vibe through it. Um, and that's the film from the very same year, um, 2012 and that's the film The Perks of Being a Wallflower this film um, doesn't have the same kind of LGBT sort of representation well it does have some it's mostly about that feeling of found family it's maybe about that feeling of finding your people and finding for at least the briefest time a group that helps you grow and mm. even that group isn't forever and in uh, my straight son the group isn't forever because people the son goes back to be with with his mum and all of that then people move on but that idea that you find your people and they help you find who you are and that the idea of that found family was a real one I got me and I really felt that thinking about perks of all as well my second one is from 1996 um it's a british film 
uh, directed by Hetty McDonald, and it's based on a play, I believe, originally. Um, and that's you, you're just annoying. What? Because, I I picked an obscure British film because <laughs> I. Oh, we're, we're British kids from the same age. Like we're gonna, yeah. Go on uh, so, and talk about beautiful. I'm gonna talk about beautiful thing or beautiful thing. Um, it's a British gay romantic comedy, I suppose, about two uh, lads growing up um, in the nineties uh, in working class estates. Um, I think in London. I can't remember. I haven't seen, I haven't seen it in years, um, but I think London estates. Um, and it's about these two boys um, falling in love um, and trying to find what they are together, trying to find what their love is and how that fits in with the world they live in um, and accept themselves and all that kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's just, I think if you grew up in the 90s, which Sam and I did, this is like this is one of the gay love stories that we grew up with um and so i see why sam and i have both picked up on it um but yeah sam feel free to talk about it as well we're happy to share share it oh no no it's it's fine beautiful thing of yours um i want to say actually so so recommendation i've got then is not so it's fairly off the wall um but it's because these two films, Beautiful Thing and film from a little bit later, Motorcycle Diaries, were particularly important to me personally at university. And I think from what you I think, I think it picks up on what you were saying, that it's about having a found family um, and that and the, sort of sort of the camaraderie that you get between friends and the beautiful thing it's it's more about that relationship and most of diaries about Che Guevara mm. um and his friend on the motorcycle trip but it's same similar ideas of togetherness and as I said they were both very important to me in university motorcycle diaries in my last year at university and then um beautiful thing a little bit before that so that would be my my recommendation, my off the wall recommendation. I just came up with because Rob stamped all over one of my. Uh, we could share it stamped all over. <laughs> Seems overly harsh. Uh, I, uh, I just thought it was it was so good. I thought I've found this obscure British film from nineteen ninety six. There's no way he's gonna know. I'm sorry. I think I own it on DVD somewhere here, or Blu-ray, or probably VHS. <laughs> um, so my second recommendation is even more off the wall because it's not even a film, um, and this shows you just how shamefully slight my knowledge of LGBT cinema is. But um, it's a play called The Laramie Project. Which, when I first read it, was sort of up to the moment recently about a developing situation in the US and attacks of homophobic violence in the US. And I looked it up this week and it was written in 2000. So <laughs> that tells you something about me. Um, but it's, uh, it was powerful at the time and remains powerful, sort of 
about the attitudes in the particularly conservative small c as as you were saying um you get at times in my straight son with the um the talk show and th- those conservative ideas you get in places throughout the the south of the united states so that's my second recommendation is the larry project excellent excellent well, guys, that was us talking about uh, My Straight Son from Venezuela. I think you can find it on Amazon Prime. I think Apple TV as well. Um, we'll be back next week with a, another film from another country on our world tour. Till then, you can find both of us online at Petty Podcast. You can get in touch with me by sending an email to prestigefilmpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at... Kaiju FM. And we'll see you guys back here in two weeks time.